So if we uh, were to back up um, to verse 16 of chapter 3, uh, it says, uh, For who having heard rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So he's talking about the fact that uh, there, there's consequences to rebellion, and it's important and significant to understand um, that this rebellion and the evil heart of unbelief that he's talking about in, in verse 12 is, a, while we talk about it as being the thing that kept the nation of Israel from going in, what I recognize is often um, commentators put it in such a light that because they complained and because the nation of Israel doubted and grumbled, therefore the Lord prevented them from going into the land. And in fact, it, it was the people who refused to go in. God did not prevent them from going in they prevented themselves it, it, it you know take uh, you know take that frame of mind and put it together for yourself in the areas where we do not trust the lord if i do not take the steps that are necessary to see uh, the freedom and the victory that the lord has called me to in my life it's not the lord preventing me it, it's my behavior that's keeping me back. And that's exactly what was going on with the nation of Israel. It is not that, you know, because they grumbled, that was it. You know, the Lord dropped the door and they, you know, couldn't get in. They, they make that futile attempt immediately afterwards of, oh, we messed up. So now we'll do it in our own efforts and sort of prove themselves. And they were soundly defeated. But still, the unbelief and the disheartening of the bad report is what kept them from going into the land. It, it, the, the responsibility lies completely upon their shoulders. And, you know, and we love it to be somebody else's responsibility. And our sinful heart does that all the time. You know, people often point to Adam, you know, when the Lord's questioning them. You know, what have you to the serpent? What have you done to the woman? What have you done to Adam? What have you done? Well, this woman that you gave me, um, you know, in that it is actually true that she brought him the, uh, the fruit of the tree. But don't misunderstand it so much as that blatant blame shifting as it's sometimes described as as much as it is. I chose the woman over you. You know, I, I chose uh, you know the created thing as being more important and more significant than you, and as a result, I fell into sin. So here they listened to the voice that the commentator, you know, here Hebrews is telling us, you know, of the nation of Israel. They they listened to the doubting voices. They allowed that disheartening message to create fear, anxiety, and doubt in them. And this is the rebellion for who having rebelled, verse 16, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned 
whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that he uh, they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So now uh, we're beginning to get this introduction of the concept of rest, and you know this is so pertinent to the Jews in regard to Sabbath, and, and now. Christianity is beginning to depart from that Sabbath, you know, worship mentality because Gentiles have never been engaged in that, and their their worship is prominently focused on Sunday, the the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ resurrected. Uh, it's only in certain uh, scenarios where you find strong Jewish influence in the Christian churches where they were worshiping on Saturday or Saturday and Sunday. So for the most part, here, the Jews have that mentality of Sabbath worship is is supposed to be the rest. And certainly, um, you know, Jesus gives strong argument to that when he's in the grain field, then he's stripping the or at least his disciples are stripping the wheat off from the ripe heads and stalk, and they would rub it together in their hands, blow the chaff off, and eat it. <clears throat> and just in case somehow in your mind you're thinking that they're stealing the crops uh, of uh, you know whoever the farmer is, uh, this was a Jewish practice that w- was completely accepted. For hundreds of years, anyone could go through your vineyard, anyone wandering through or along your you know, harvest could take from it while they were in the field. You see somebody in your apple orchard munching away on an apple, there wouldn't be any animosity at all. Now, if they're loading up their basket and headed out of your orchard or your field, there's going to be penalty for the theft that they're engaged in. The disciples are stripping the heads off the grain. This is, this is you know, our equivalent to a bag of chips. And they're rubbing the kernels together, blow the chaff off, eating it. And <clears throat> I don't know why Pharisees hide out in wheat fields, but suddenly they pop up and they're saying, oh, you guys are harvesting. And they're having a big to-do about the fact that they're, you know, picking wheat. Therefore, this equals harvesting on the Sabbath, and Jesus makes the point there that the Sabbath was designed for the human race so that it would serve us as rest, not that it was a religious obligation for humanity to keep so that it would be a burden to us. We aren't the slaves of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is serves us and uh, you know so for any of us that feel intimidated by those individuals you know the seventh day adventists the seventh day baptists you know uh, sometimes you'll run into mennonites puritans amish and you know they go to church on saturday and you know they have that mentality that you know somehow draws them closer to god i totally appreciate the commitment. I get the necessity of taking time to worship the Lord, but keeping some kind of man's man-made obligation doesn't make you more acceptable 
to God. The rest, meaning the ease from labor that we're talking about here, wasn't accomplished in any of this. And in particular, uh, he's going to say in some of your translations, it says that Jesus was not capable of bringing them into the rest. And that's a really unfortunate translation because it's actually in the original language, Joshua. And it's, it's referring to Joshua, the son of Nun, who took over after Moses. And the fact that he could not bring the people in, you know, even though he and Caleb wanted to, because they were in rebellion. Later, they were able to enter the land. But the, the rest, uh, the peace, comes through Jesus Christ. So that's the, the real thrust of the author's message here is, is you know, this observation of the Sabbath is not going to bring the peace uh, with, you know, that they are uh, supposed to be acquiring. So uh, they were not able to enter the rest, but to those who did not obey. So we, we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains to enter his rest, let us fear lest any of us seem to have come short of it. Now, before we move on, right, <clears throat> Uh, this rest, this peace that's being spoken of. Um, you know, my mother and I today were just a uh, brief discussion about uh, sanctification. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is that uh, cleansing, purification, maturity that takes place. You know, we say uh, the sanctification process. The scripture even describes that. But positionally, we are justified, we are sanctified, we are glorified in Christ. It, it, you know, the, the, it, we, are, we receive all of those things through grace. So, so with that, we also receive peace in that positionally we are at peace with God. There is no enmity between us and God. Not because we're so awesome. Not because we walk in some kind of humor, human standard of perfection. Because Jesus Christ finished the work. He created the peace for us. So as far as peace between us and God, that's there. But that restful peace is now the subject here that we need to enter into. The, the nation of Israel, right, positionally, the land is yours. The promise was in place all the way back at Abraham. Really, before the foundations of the earth. But it was announced to Abraham, and ever since then, the land of Israel, Canaan, belongs to the nation of Israel, positionally. They're not going to enter into the place, not even in just crossing the Jordan, right? They've got to conquer their enemies and experience that peace before they ever have it as their own. And that's many years later, and, and honestly, because of their compromises, they never into enter into it fully the way that they should have. They don't conquer their enemies and drive them out as the Lord had commanded. Their borders never expand to the place that God said, this, this is your territory. They, I mean, they, they make excursion, but they don't ever conquer and take those lands as their own. Neglect and compromise and, you know, all kinds of things interfere with that. So, so there remains this promise 
to enter into his rest. You know, this isn't just, you know, this painful, drawn-out history lesson. The, the author's point is Jesus is that rest. You know, Moses couldn't do it. Joshua couldn't do it. The people of Israel couldn't do it. Samuel couldn't do it. Jonathan couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Jesus Christ has completed it. Jesus Christ finished that so that you can rest in that peace. Let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Again, because he's writing to Jewish people who their propensity is going to be to try to go back to the law, the priesthood, the sacrifices. So, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In particular, you can see the blatant example of the nation of Israel when they came to that border the first time. So think about um, how tough the task is for us at times. You come to faith, and it, you know certain things seem to shed right off. Um, you know you'll have to go through your own list and and remember those things that you were doing one day, and the next day you know you couldn't have possibly ever thought about doing those things again. It was you know taken right away from you. Then other things, uh, there was more of a battle, and then you discovered there were things that were, you know, deep-seated parts of your personality, you know, go, go to things like temper and selfishness, you know, that just you got to get the shovel out to get underneath certain elements uh, of your own personality and, and really conquer and dig and, uh, you know, unroot uh, certain things within yourself. So the peacefulness, right, that, that belief that has to be mixed with the faith to dig certain things out, to root out what would be considered an enemy of your faith. You know, these things weren't happening for the nation of Israel because they weren't mixed together uh, with faith in those who heard. For we who have believed do not enter that rest as he said so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So this is a picture for the Jews and for us to understand they have that mentality of, um, yeah, okay, the grace of God, but, you know, just a blatant example, but I also have to bring this sacrifice. Um, you know, put a, a Christian twist on that. Yeah, okay, the grace of God, but I've also got to wear, you know, particular clothes, uh, you know, you think about some legalistic uh, ways. I'll never forget uh, a guy years ago that was uh, coming 
to Calvary Chapel uh, for a little while, older gentleman, and uh, we would do a thing. Uh, seems like it was the Wednesday night service where uh, after the song service, we would give people an opportunity to testify and share, uh, you know, past or, you know, present things that the Lord had done or was doing in their life. And uh, the things that uh, this man had experienced with the Lord were verified and just really encouraging. He, he had had a, a profound walk in his faith, um, but he uh, he came to the leadership after a couple months and wrote this heartbroken letter and delivered it uh, saying couldn't come to our church anymore because the women wore pants. You know, it was, you know, this is the example I'm talking about is, you know, there's how does that make you any closer to the Lord? You know what I'm saying? What And it, and it wasn't even that. You know, like inappropriate clothing. It's just pants. Just women are supposed to wear dresses, and they're wearing pants. And I can't come to church here anymore. You know, it was uh, it was odd. Uh, some people have certain things that, in their mind, that has to be done in order for, to be acceptable to God. You know, and, and there's a uh, so that's our uh, you know interlude in the midst of. <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't my fault. I'm just so much more embarrassing when Mark pages me and it's still on. Page, pages me. Like we're still doing that, right? <sighs> Sorry, I, I missed 20 years there. Um, so, you know, this uh, this legalism, this idea of, of being able to, like through our behavior, we're going to create that positional peace. With God, we're going to make ourselves acceptable, and and the struggle for the Jews is to go back to that. Yeah, okay, well, they've entered into, um, you know, uh, worship. They've entered into Christianity. They believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they just can't keep themselves from going over to the temple and bringing a lamb with them. You know, it just it's just so much a part of their their mindset. And, and keep in mind, there there are offerings that will be offered in the temple during the millennium while Jesus is, uh, you know, the king of the world, you know, ruling uh, in a physical way, uh, but they are fellowship. It, it isn't a matter of, um, you know, atonement. And again, I love the simplicity of at-one-ment, you know, the, the, the root definition of that term, meaning that you are not at one, you are separated from God, and that this sacrifice, you know, restores the at-one-ment, so the atonement is being spoken of there. And the author of Hebrews is saying you don't have to, you don't want to fall back into this because that's not going to accomplish the peace. If that could have accomplished the peace, it would have happened in the past. These things would have already taken place, right? For the people today that are like, you know, women have to wear pants if, if you know, or have to wear dresses. If, if that was going to work, wouldn't it have worked in the past? What, like you've just suddenly, you know, had the, the revelation, you, your doctrine, your denomination. Thank God you came along because all these years, you know, we didn't realize that. But now that you're here. Jesus Christ is the thing that created that peace, not not those things that we can accomplish in a religious. And if you're going to go to them, right, if you're going to turn 
to them, you, you instantly have lost the peace that Christ created because you're saying, my works accomplish this end goal. This, this is what Jesus is saying when he pe- preaches that parable about the wedding feast. And, and, and at, the, you know, at the end of the, the parable, he talks about you know, the master of the feast comes in and finds a man there in his own clothes his street clothes. In in the Jewish wedding, uh, the master of the feast would provide everyone with a white garment and uh, everyone was dressed in white, you know, to to celebrate the occasion. Come in, find some man in his own clothes, throw him out. And according to what Jesus said, you know, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's a description of hell. Come in rather than being dressed like we're talking about in the book of Revelation, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the, the clean white robes of his sacrifice, right? The prophets saying, you know, come, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. You know, his shed blood washing away our sins and making us purified. So if you're going to return to your own works, your own clothes, as it were, going to you know make your appearance before the Lord in your own works, then you're going to suffer the consequences and you're not going to enter into peace in this life. For he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The work is finished. No need for us to continue in it. That example of God working six days and then resting on the seventh was an example to us that our work isn't going to accomplish the completed work. God alone is the one. He gives us the rest as a gift. Think about this again. I've mentioned this many times. Man is created on the sixth day. So his first day of existence is the Sabbath. He rests. He enters into God's creation in rest. So he didn't get to do any works. Right? He just enters into existing in rest. That's that's the image of, of relationship with God. You know, consider uh, what we're being told in the New Testament about a thousand years is but a day, a day is but a thousand years with the Lord. And the scholars, you know, insist that it's not uh, a stretch to say that the earth has existed for 6,000 years, six days. A thousand years is but a day, a day is but a thousand years. And we're about to enter that one day of rest, the the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ. We're about to enter the millennium, right? <clears throat> then the earth is destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth are created, entering into eternity, the eighth day. Okay? <clears throat> We're children of the eighth day. You know, the, the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth. Adam is, is born, essentially, on the sixth day, enters into existence for the seventh day, and then spiritual imagery the eighth day is, you know, the new week is is what he rolls into. The rest only comes, the peace only comes from the hands of God, not through the religious efforts. And this this is why so many people within Christianity are, are 
constantly in a state of distress because they're trying and striving and working at all of these different things to achieve the thing that can only be given to us as a gift that the Lord has done within himself. Since, therefore, verse 6, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And, And there's the real clarification, right? Not because God barred the door, not because God said, oh, you spoke evil when you came back with those 10 spies, therefore I'm going to bar their disobedience. They disobey. They would not go in. Their refusal. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today, after such a long time, it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. And then here in verse 8, some of your Bibles may say, for if Jesus, it's Joshua, really, had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. This is so, he's saying David spoke of another day where the rest would come. David came long after Joshua. If Joshua had brought them into the spiritual peace that that every soul is looking for, then he would not have had to say, there's a coming day. This still lies ahead of us as a, a future spiritual goal. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people. Look, if, if, you've, if you get your mind fully wrapped around this concept, praise God, okay? Um, the Jews were going to be stumbling over this endlessly because they, the, their whole religion's wrapped up in works. You know, some, some of us within Christianity who especially came from, like, Roman Catholic backgrounds, you know, I, I'll never forget... Uh, Mike Dynick being here years ago and his dear old mother had been in Roman Catholicism her whole life and she was nearing her last days and when Mike was talking with her about a relationship with the Lord you know he's asking her outright you know are you saved and uh she's saying I I don't know I I, I hope so you know She's, she's been actively engaged in her faith and working and striving and helping and serving, and, and she doesn't know. It doesn't know that it's written in First John that you can know that you have salvation. It does not even know that. You know, it has been so steeped in this that even when she was shown it, it's almost like, Somebody must have like changed the Bible and written that in there later because, you know, been raised and taught and learned all along the way that, you know, you, you can't ever really know. We can re- Why? Because Jesus Christ does the work, not you and I. We can rest in his salvation, rest in his capabilities, not our own. You know, if, if it happened through religion, if it happened through all of these works of the past, uh, Joshua would have been able to accomplish it. David would have been able to accomplish it. Doesn't happen. If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. 
God worked for six days and then stopped, entered into rest. If you have found the rest that God is providing, the peace that God is providing you here and now, then you cease from the works, the religious works of trying to accomplish your salvation. The, uh, um, I forget which one of the um, streaming services, uh, but it, they had a um, documentary on, I think it was just called Mormonism. And it's a, a newer production, and there were uh, descend, direct descendants of Joseph Smith who are born-again Christians who were part of the documentary, direct descendants of Brigham Young who were part of the documentary. Brigham Young's, uh, I think it's his great-granddaughter. Is, is in the documentary, uh, Born Again Christian now. And they go through all this historical explanation and documentation. And, and, you know, from a Christian point of view, they're trying to explain to us who are non-Mormons some of this history. But they, they get to the end and say, you know, if you get the opportunity to minister to people in Mormonism, the one thing you're going to want to share very adamantly, and you're going to want to know it from the scripture very accurately, is that God already loves them. They, they, don't, they don't have any idea about that. They, they, don't fun, they don't, you know, as much as, you know, call now, we'll send you a, a free Bible and the Book of Mormon. They don't believe the Book of Mormon, or they don't believe the Bible. They, they uh, teach, they're convinced that uh, Christianity, in particular Roman Catholicism, has changed it repeatedly over time and that it's very corrupt and uh, that the things contained in it, if you were to read it, would poison your mind. So th they're baiting people who have Christian backgrounds by offering the Bible. It makes it look like, I mean, I, as I'm saying that right now, probably you're sitting there thinking, boy, I thought that they were totally accepting of the Bible. They're not. Uh, not at all. They reject it wholesale. And uh, so they don't ever read that God loves them. And and th this grace belongs to them. You know, when you see them uh, as missionaries and elders, you know, uh, they're, you know, usually 18 or 19 years old uh, when uh, their temple uh, puts in uh, the application and sends them the request and takes them uh, to the mission field. And their whole family is elated uh, when that happens <clears throat> because it's one of the strongest assurances uh, that they have a possibility at salvation is, is to be a missionary and go into the field. Uh, so works, entirely works. They, they, they don't have any understanding that uh, if they just surrender, God loves them. You know, there's many world religions that that function this way, and it is uh, very strongly uh, evident and present in a lot of Christian denominations. So if you've entered his rest, uh, have, you've ceased from your works as God did uh, from his, the, the fulfillment of salvation. So 11 goes on uh, by saying, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. If you don't have the peace in your heart of knowing 
that God loves you and you have salvation, then you you need to really like put everything else down and focus on that. Search the scriptures. Read what the Lord is saying uh, to you. Uh, you know, read. Uh, you know, anything written by John is really going to cover that. Uh, you know, you, you look at uh, the Book of John, First, Second, Third John, and uh, Revelation, especially. Um, th- those books are going to relay very carefully uh, God's grace and how much He loves you. Of course, you know anything written by Paul. Also, but you know, really ingrain in yourself that idea until there is a peacefulness, and part of that struggle will be uh, the things that the Lord is contending with in our lives. You know, the, that which could, you know, potentially be idolatry. God, God is not going to allow that uh, to exist in our lives, our hearts, and our minds. And, you know, he's not going to cohabitate with uh, some demonic influence, uh, some some uh, you know hellish experience that we, some fleshly thing that uh, needs to be uprooted from our lives. And people then you know start to look at it like, oh, well, that's legalism and that's works. No, it's not. It's either you're walking in fellowship with Christ or you're not. And as long as you're going to wrestle with that, then you're not going to enter into your rest. So, you know, do the diligence and stay, as it says here, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful. We all know this verse very well, hopefully. Notice uh, you know, the word of God is living and powerful. It's not living and weak. Um, a lot of people um, imply that through their teachings, through their behavior. That, that um, yeah, yeah, the word of God, it's, it's alive. But, you know, ineffectual is sort of their attitude and their behavior. Um, just uh, talking with the guys again about what, Peter wrote about how uh, the divine power that is in Jesus Christ is uh, sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness. That's everything. What I mean, what else is there? Life and godliness. I mean, you're talking about this life and the hereafter, eternity, the power and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his divine power uh, is sufficient for all things. People don't believe that. This this whole issue um, that's permeated the church of um, uh, like codependency heresies, um, um, you know, uh, alcoholism is a disease, a drug addiction is a disease, um, you start talking to people and, and they'll say in one breath, yes, Jesus Christ, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, I fully believe that. And then the next moment, um, well, my therapist and, you know, the prescription that I'm on and my, you know, so wait a minute, you know, it is Jesus Christ, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Uh, does he have authority and dominion over your circumstances or not? People get offended with that. 
Jesus Christ can, uh, you know, handle your circumstances. I uh, was really disheartened um, a number of years ago. Lori and I were, uh, I had been down to New Jersey to speak, and we were coming through New York City, and um, one of the largest Christian radio stations in the world uh, broadcasting. They had a very prominent Christian speaker on, and he was talking about his father's uh, um, mental illness, and um, he, I'm I'm I wish I could be confident in what the man meant, but what he said was, um, for some people, uh, prayer and Jesus. And the Bible are enough. But in the case like my dad, he said, uh, they are not. So my dad, you know, needed to have these other things. And, you know, now I'm yelling at the radio. And uh, my wife is, you know, actually kind of joining me in the sort of aggression. But the point, okay. I'll even concede that uh, in certain cases, you know, the individual is not capable in their setting of finding. But to say Jesus Christ is not is incorrect. And the thing that was most grievous to me is, like I just said, it's one of the largest radio stations in the world. Um, and in fact, it was it was on a, a satellite feed, so it's going out to hundreds of other radio stations around the world. And they're all broadcasting the same thing, as this very prominent pastor is saying. You know, in certain cases, Jesus, uh, prayer, and the Bible are just not enough. You know... It's, it's, it's really amazing to me how certain people have so much influence and no one even stops to say, like, is that correct? <laughs> Everybody just goes, yeah, okay. You, you want to say that it never happened for your father or certain individuals? I can, I can agree with that. But to say he is not sufficient, it's, it's incorrect. You know, the, 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 the living and powerful part of God's word. It's not living and sometimes powerful. Living and moderately powerful. Living and really not very powerful. Which, that's where our culture has gotten. You know, you, you mentioned the Bible, you mentioned God, you mentioned church, and they kind of roll their eyes like, oh, here we go. You know, this guy's, you know, Jesus freak, and we're about to get an earful is where they're at. You know, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So now this um, sword Paul is uh, using as example and describing is the Roman short sword. Um, the, the Romans, prominently the foot soldier, carried two swords. Um, you know, we, we almost always see them depicted with the short 18-inch uh, sword, and that was for close quarter, hand-to-hand -hand combat, and, and they did most commonly carry that. But they, they carried larger sword 
Also, you don't want to go up against cavalry and mounted horsemen with your 18-inch sword. You're, you're going to get run over and uh, destroyed. They conquered the world. Uh, and the sword that's being described here is that shorter sword. Uh, that was uh, meant for puncturing, um, not so much hacking or slicing. It is the idea of close quarter. You're, you're seeing the whites of somebody's eyes, as they said in the day, grab them by the beard and thrust. <laughs> you're that close in the combat. You know, it, it's meant to penetrate straight through short distance lay the blade on edge so that if it meets rib cage it goes through grizzly as that is this is what's being described very powerful extremely sharp sword this sword is way sharper than anything any roman carried it's powerful it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. They literally developed methods by which, um, you know, you could thrust through and get at least two major organs and the individual that you just struck had maybe seven to ten seconds to live. Um, they're done, you know. Over, overhand strike, block with a shield, overhand strike, down through the shoulder blade, catch the lung and the heart, <laughs> straight down through the neck. I mean, they, they were so proficient at what they did. And, you know, this is sort of what's being said here. It's not just a painted graphic picture. It's the idea of the word God will plunge into places so hard, so fast, so rapidly, you'll be left stunned with what just happened. And that's the way, that's the way, you know, that the word should function. Um, uh, I, I have described when I first started going to church in Calvary Chapel, and, you know, when your pastor is talking about, you know, discussions you've had with your wife, you're left thinking like, has she been talking? Okay, so maybe she's not talking directly. Maybe she's talking to his wife. And but like now it's in the sermon, you know. And you ask questions, and you get no. That's just the general, you know, understanding of marriage. And I'm just applying the word of God. And you're like, okay, I'll accept that for now, you know. But when you you come through the door, and you know the sermon contains phrases out of the argument you had in the car on the way to church, um, you know, with biblical application, that'll plunge you right through the heart that the Lord is right there, very conscious of what's going on. And you look around the room and realize this is hitting a whole bunch of us this hard. This isn't just me that's taking it on the chin here. And the years pass, and now I'm delivering those sermons, and people are coming to me saying, did you talk to my wife this week? And, and I didn't. You know, sometimes I do, but sometimes I didn't. And, uh, you know, especially when you're, you're saying things that were parts of conversations, as I just described. You know, th this is the way the Word of God should be, that it functions in a living, active a penetrating way 
Um, I just started this this church 2003, 2004. So woman came and uh, she just, first service was just like, I have never heard the word of God like this before. And I mean, we didn't even make it through a whole chapter. And I'm like, well, you know, we preach verse by verse. And this, we just try to read it and try to stay as close to just explaining it as we can. And, and uh, you know, after several weeks, she comes to me and says, I want to show you something. She had her notebook from the church that she attended for the last three years. And she goes through and there's five verses. Five, five verses have been shared from the pulpit in the last three years. And I'm asking, like, those those are the ones that stood out to you? And she's like, no, you don't understand. That, those are the five verses that have been shared. And I am I think she's making it up. And I'm like, what are they preaching? And she said, most every week they preach from a uh, socially relevant article from a magazine. And that's the whole sermon. And try to draw in, not, not even direct quote or just like, you know, the Bible sort of says this. Now, if you think about that in light of what I'm reading here, and, uh, you know, so, so just sort of an acquaintance with it, loosely interpreted. She had all her notes from every one of her sermons. And she kept notes here, but it was, you know, verses, <laughs> illustrations and chapters and a lot of stuff. The, the Word of God needs to function like this. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, you don't have to defend the Word of God. It's like a young lion. You just have to loose it. Just let it go, and it will do its job. If you can read the Word, if you can be in the Word and have it flowing through you, or if you just have it with you and apply it to the situation, it should have this type of effect. So piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. So interesting that here the author of Hebrews tells us there's a difference between soul and spirit. I had a heated discussion with a graduate of a New England seminary who was insistent that the soul and the spirit are the same thing. In fact, he even went as far as to say the body, the soul, and the spirit are the same thing. And uh, I'm trying to figure out where he was coming from with all of this. And in the end, it's just because he didn't know the word. He had not studied. You know, we right away went through half a dozen different places where it made the distinguishing remarks between the body and the soul or the, the body and the spirit. And in particular, the, the, the conflict between the desires and the appetites of the flesh versus the spirit. And, you know, so we looked at a number of things, but here it pierces even to the division of the soul and spirit. Uh, soul is the seat of emotion. It is, it is um, the source of most of your thought, and he'll talk about that more here. But that's, that's your emotion. The spirit, unfortunately in our case, uh, without being born again, the spirit is dead. It, is, it, is, uh, it was killed with Adam when Adam and Eve sinned. They plunged the human spirit into death. 
And uh, that eventually led to physical death. This is why Jesus said you have to be born again. The Holy Spirit has to give you life. And there, there's you know some regeneration of our own spirit, but really it's the Holy Spirit you want in the scenario, not even your spirit, right? You want you would you would prefer the Holy Spirit take the place of your own spirit. And the spirit can dictate to your soul what its emotion will be and what its thought will be, which will control what your behavior will be. We are born where our flesh runs the program. You know, if we are a triune being, body, soul, and spirit, the, the flesh runs the program. And it dictates its desires to the emotion. And that makes the spirit subject to the flesh, really. And that's the biggest reason that it's dead. That all needs to be flipped upside down. Holy Spirit needs to uh, take the place and of leadership and issue orders to the thought process and the emotion, which will then dictate to the flesh what it's going to do. You know, I, I, you know, had a young friend here uh, years ago, young, very young, on the playground. I've shared this story before, and two young fellows come in. How one's howling, crying, bleeding, and uh, you know, ask what's going on. The kid that's bleeding says, "This young man just punched me right in the face." I'm stunned. I said, "Really? Really? Did you just punch him in the face?" And he, he, his literal response was, "I had to punch him a little bit." And I said, "You, you punched him a little bit?" And he said, "Yeah." He wouldn't give me the swing. So one guy's on the swing, wants the swing, can't get the swing, so punch him in the face a little bit, you know? That works, right? You grow up and you're an adult, that'll work on the job site, in public, wherever. Flesh says I want, dictates to emotion. Emotion tells spirit to shut up and punch somebody in the face a little bit, you know? Sometimes you got to shoot people a little bit. Sometimes you got to stab people a little bit. What? No. This, this is the corruption of the flesh. Running the show, telling the emotions what to do. You know, sexual sin. Emotion is generated by the body. The, the desire comes from the flesh. You know, it acts upon the emotion. The emotion suppresses whatever spiritual thought might be present and obedience to the flesh is what follows it's a treacherous thing that goes on and it must be reversed here the the word of god will pierce all the way into dividing between soul and spirit of the joints and the marrow the marrow is inside the bone you got to be seriously accurate and seriously sharp and seriously powerful to purposely puncture all the way to the point of dividing marrow from bone. I mean, the, the, the capability, we don't, you know, surgically, we don't have that process to, to do this with the accuracy that's being 
describe here. The, the point that the author is making is this is how much the Word of God exceeds any other weapon. You know, you're going to get through this as we continue along how much uh, the Lord is talking about himself because what? Jesus is the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Right, you know, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the the uh, completely integrated concept of the word in Jesus is impossible to escape in the Scripture. When the word penetrates to the point where oh, the conviction sets in, and you hear, if you quickly slap a tourniquet on that. And run away from, I'm just, I'm, I can't listen to that. I got to cut that off right now. That, that hurt really bad, really deep. Got to just leave that alone. Then you are ignoring actually the surgical process Jesus is trying to accomplish. He's trying to divide all the way down to this is going to kill you. And we need to cut all the way to the core of this. And we need to get this out of here. You know, marrow. Source of blood, right? Blood, source of life. If it is corrupt to the marrow, Jesus Christ has to have accuracy and access to the marrow of your person, of your soul, of your existence. And now, look, he makes this, uh, uh, you know, philosophical comparison here. Goes from that physical illustration joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Listen, it most accurately reads, it is a discerner between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. If you're honest, I'll be honest for you, okay? If you're honest, you have known that the decision you're making is wrong and sinful, and you've made the decision and walked through the consequences, and it's only when it's blown up in your face and torn your whole world apart that you finally admit, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. You told yourself and everyone that would listen that your intentions were different. No, 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 this is good, this is right, this is pure. This is, you know, we might have even blamed it on God. This is holy. And it's only when it's an undeniable truth at the other end that you have to go, okay, I was wrong. Jesus Christ can do that before you enter into the circumstances. Give him access, let his word penetrate to the core, and he will show you the difference between what you're saying your intentions are and what your heart is really thinking. He'll expose it. And nice thing is, is he's a gentleman. He'll show you privately first. He's trying to spare us the public embarrassment of when it goes kaflooey <laughs> right in everybody's you know, vision. He wants us to steer away from it. He knows the consequences of it. It's a discerner between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I say again, the heart is incredibly untrustworthy, right? Jeremiah, the prophet, told us it was desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? 
We, we lie to ourselves continuously. There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom he must give account. You can convince yourself, lie, manipulate, conjole all you want. The Lord knows the circumstances and his, right? When he comes to the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? It isn't the voice of the arresting officer that's saying, come out right now. <laughs> it's a heartbroken father that met with his created son, Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden every day and walked with them and talked with them. And he shows up at the appointed place at the appointed time and his kids are missing. That is a heart-wrenching moment, parents, is it not? When you turned around and that little one that was supposed to be right there is now missing. That, that, and, and when you call their name and turn more, when two minutes have passed, you've just about had a heart attack. Because they're not where they're supposed to be. God knows where he is, but he's demonstrating that heart of a parent. He's not there to kick the door down. He's there to rescue Adam and Eve from their circumstances. Jesus Christ does not pierce to the soul. He does not pierce separating soul and spirit, joint and marrow, thoughts and intentions, because he likes to attack human beings. He does it to help us avoid the pain that those situations create for us. There's an accounting Think about how we just went from the discussion of the rebellion of Israel refusing to enter into the rest, into this discussion of the sword and God's intended purpose for the use of that sword. you got to hear the goodness in it. You've got to hear God's loving desire of victory and rest and peacefulness for us you know cut right between your sinful flesh and the child of god just slice that right down the middle so that the child of god can survive and you can crucify the flesh without any harm to the child of god what a gracious beautiful picture seeing then verse 14 that we have a great high priest who has Pass through the heavens. The idea is passing through the veil. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let's not return to the law, sacrifices, any of that silliness. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. It was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. All points tested. Um, you know, people sometimes come and weeping, tell me I can't believe what I've done. And I'm thinking, well, I've heard it all, but, you know, go ahead. <laughs> tell me and we'll pray together. And then they tell me and I think, good Lord, I had no idea the, the stuff. That's, you know, astonishing. Other people come and they're heartbroken and all tore up and they start in and I literally left thinking, that's nothing. <laughs> you know, 
What, what you are so burdened by is so small. It, you know, it's sin. You know, you need to. I just was in the house and alone with a cupcake, and I knew my wife was going to, well, I ate it anyway. You know, I was just like, wow, you are going to hell. You know, <laughs> you know it's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You're right. But, I mean, really, you know, it's just interesting how we measure. So Jesus Christ was tested in all points, in all points as we are. He can identify. It doesn't matter. You know, remember the last time you fasted for 40 days? <laughs> <laughs> and your internal organs were, you know, now going to digest themselves for a matter of hours in order to try and keep you alive. And then the devil physically showed up and began to tempt you. Remember that? No, you don't, right? Jesus Christ's temptation eclipses ours. You know, remember the last time you were going to be crucified? Nails driven through your body, flesh shredded, stripped naked. Nailed to a cross publicly. Remember the last time that was going to happen? You had all the power in the world to stop it. And you just allowed it to happen? No, you don't. Jesus Christ submitted to that. Later, the author is going to you know, say of us, you know, which of you has resisted to the point of bloodshed? None of us, right? We act like it. Oh, God, I know I need to avoid this. So tomorrow, could you please? And, you know, it arrives and you're like, oh, I can't. One more second of this and I'll just lose my mind. Really? Just, you, you can't avoid watching that television show. Really? You know. <laughs> the things that we, are, you know, are so convinced are, are impossible. Jesus Christ has demonstrated his strength to overcome these and all points tested just as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need during that temptation. Let's go to the throne. Listen, it is because of the great pleadings that the Lord does intervene. So very often the reason we fail is because there are no great pleadings. We don't go to the throne. We know it's accessibility, and we don't try it. We don't bother. We, there's no effort for it. Praying and fasting is a very good exercise. It will teach you many things about your flesh. And it's a profoundly missing practice in the you know modern church, leaving behind certain things. I insist, look, you can't pray. You got, you know, diabetes, some concern. You can't fast. Uh, you know, television. Put put duct tape right on top of that remote control and over the, you know, on button and just, you know, I guarantee you, you can do that just for 24 hours. You'll be in the middle of peeling that off, thinking like, who put this on here? What is this on here? And when you remember what you're doing. Every time you want to do it, let it compel you to go to prayer, to be closer to the Lord. This great high priest that we're now going to embark upon a great deal of discussion about in the following chapters, he is anxious to not just sit and listen and then give you some stupid, you know, repetitive task to go say 12 Our Fathers 
Yeah, he, he literally will give you the particulars as to how to avoid the temptation, how to walk through the circumstances. The issue has to become that there is an urgency within us, a desire to see these things accomplished. Again, the thread goes all the way back in this discussion to the children of Israel did not enter into the rest because of unbelief. You want the peace? Then you've got to go through the struggle. Can't make it through the struggle? Maybe you're not relying on your high priest. Need to access that resource. So there's chapter four. We'll pick up with chapter five uh, when we're together again. So why don't we stand and we'll pray and then fellowship. Evan will, you know, grab the donuts and have them out front for us so that we can consume all of them. Father, we thank you uh, for everything that you do everything that you are, everything that you give us is so amazing. We we do not appreciate you enough, and we ask your forgiveness for that, Lord. You are so good, so kind, so generous. Lord, help us to be cooperative children, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done through and by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Please stay in fellowship as long as you can.